The Chris Sheeran Show, only on YesNetwork.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Chris Sheeran Show podcast. Chris Sheeran, Doug Williams. That's at Chris Sheeran, yes, and at Doug Williams, yes, on Twitter. Very easy to remember. You can get this podcast, obviously, if you're listening to it on YesNetwork.com, and you you could subscribe. Uh, it's for free on iTunes as well. Joining the program today, this week, the lovely and talented Donnie Marshall. Donnie, how are you, buddy? Well, wait, I'm waiting for the applause. Like, you guys have to, <laughs> don't we build some applause there? What, yeah. What's going on here? We're, we're working on the sound effects. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm in the mix board in the corner. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, how about how about, how about the, the Chris Sheeran show? It's, I mean, you know, you it, you hear the John John Smith show. How about how about Sheeran the Love? How about let's rename the oh, show wow. Sheeran the Love. <laughs> Sharing the like Rock. It. All right. Yeah, there you go. Sharing the Rock. <laughs> Something, well, to think about. Something to think about. Yeah, today we're doing that. We're talking about <laughs> basketball, the NBA playoffs with Donnie. And uh, more specifically, we're going to start off with uh, the Nets and Raptors. And I have a layup, well, not really, uh, to start off with here, Donnie. It, the Nets, Raptors, Game 6. Uh, we're taping this uh, before Game 6 takes place at Barclays Center tonight. And my question to you is, uh, if the Nets lose this series, if they lose this game or they, they, they win tonight and lose game seven, you know, Darren Williams came out in games one and games three. We've done the pre and post game shows together. We've talked about this on the air. But if the Nets lose this series, this guy is supposed to be an elite point guard. Are we going to look back, not even 10, from years from, 10 years from now, are we going to look back like next year and the year after and say, this falls on Darren? Well, it, it's interesting, Chris, because – you know, the last season they were looking to get over the hump. You lose to the Chicago Bulls. I think immediately. I think all summer long. I think during the regular season, and and probably more specifically when they get back to the playoffs next season. Here we go again. You know, Darren Williams. I don't want to say coasts through the first part of the season, but really struggles through the first part to one stay healthy, to find consistency, and maybe those kind of go hand in hand, but we've seen it the last two seasons. He picks up the pace a little bit uh, the second part of the season, at least after All-Star break. But you're right. If you can't get over the hump, which to me getting over the hump is is getting to the Eastern Conference Finals, and, and how much more pressure can guy have on him? And, and not to make an excuse for him, uh, but you talk about one, the contract. Then you talk about bringing in two guys who are future Hall of Famers, who are NBA champs, KG, Paul Pierce, to kind of help you get over the hump. But not only that, the pressure of having now a head coach who is his mentor, who, who is his favorite athlete on the planet, and one also that has created a tremendous, tremendous uh, career, not just in the NBA, but for the Nets organization, albeit uh, in New Jersey. But still, there is a shadow there that Darren's kind of living in, and until he can get past, and I, you know, not to, not to, to pile up any more pressure on him, but until he can get at least past the Eastern Conference Finals and get into the NBA Finals, there's going to be a huge shadow that he's living in under not just KG and Paul, uh, but but Jason Kidd as well. So, yes, we're going to be talking about this if he can't deliver, um, to put it plainly. We're going to be talking about 
not in the near future, but but definitely when they get back to this point in the season to come. Yeah, and you talked about a shadow. Let's throw Joe Johnson uh, casting yeah. casting a shadow on Darren Williams too. I mean, Joe came into this series uh, in his playoff past, averaging just over seventeen points per game. He's averaging twenty two points per game this year. They just gave him an extra bucket from Game Five. Not that it matters, Nets fans. The Nets still <laughs> lost by two, but right. he he did put up thirty two points. In that game five, uh, so it upped his average to 22 points per game, and he's shooting it near 60% from the floor. I mean, he's really causing a lot of mismatches for this Raptors team, and he adds to that shadow for Darren Williams because Joe is bringing it, Donnie. Yeah, he is, and, and he's just he's one more piece that makes him maybe a little bit, you, you would think makes it easier for Darren Williams to kind of just fly under the radar, but he also he, he, he makes it a little bit, he makes it tougher and he makes it easier, easier because if he goes out, Darren Williams, and I know, you know, we're, we're talking Joe Johnson, but if you if you give the ball to Joe in certain situations, then you score when Joe's not scoring. You know, you're in a better way. I mean, it's easier game, but now you make it a little more difficult when when everyone looks around and says, "Hey, you know, KG's giving you what he has. Paul Pierce is is stepping up in certain situations. Joe Johnson, you just you know told us all his numbers. So who's left? It's it's Darren Williams. So yes, you know to to. to Maybe shine this in a, in a brighter and more positive light. Joe Johnson is now living up to those expectations that everyone talked about all season long. And I think in the beginning of the year, Joe was kind of just feeling his way through. Okay, they're talking about KG and Paul, uh, at Jason Terry when he was here earlier, and Darren Williams and Brooke Lopez. And almost the last guy you talked about, I mean, across the board, national media, local media, was Joe Johnson. And I don't know if that was because you just know – Joe's going to be there in the end, or if you almost at times people forgot about him, but whatever it is, Joe Johnson is showing everyone he's worth the money. He, he's worthy of being an all-star like he was this season, and, and this is when you show up in the playoffs. So going from that uh, bright light that you just shined on our, our podcast, let's go to the fallout, the potential fallout that would happen if the Nets were to lose. And the thing is with you know the NBA and teams with uh, high expectations like the Nets have had this season, if they lose to the Raptors, is it a difference between losing to the Raptors and then losing in the next round in terms of what the Nets end up doing in the offseason? Or are they going to make moves and change this team no matter what happens? No, I think they have to make some decisions no matter if they lose to the Raptors, which sounds bad the raptors <laughs> i just i, I still losing to the raptors the raptors winning a playoff here i just it's just I, it sounds i can't get it it's hard for me to say but uh and even harder when you talk about them beating the brooklyn nets but i think without question because you have to consider what paul pierce and kg are going to end up doing in the off season um what you're going to do as far as trying to add some youth uh, with this team, Sean Livingston, Billy King has, has said multiple times, our first and, and most pro- important priority is to re-sign Sean Livingston. So now you have to figure, okay, how much money does that leave us to go get some quality guys out there? So either way, you're going to see some changes this summer. Uh, but I think all positive. I don't think you'll see any, whoa, I didn't see that coming type changes. I think we'll we'll see some changes that reinforce what this team uh, needs to do to, to get past this point next season and I think we'll we'll hear you know uh, a little bit more of Jason Kidd's voice in making some of those uh, decisions that come on the court. Donnie I want to go back to game five uh, the other night Uh, I was with Jim Spinarkle here in studio and uh, I ran it by him I want to run it by you as well you know when the Nets are down by 26 points in the third quarter 
and you know the focus is you know slowly dwindling from that game. You kind of think to yourself, okay, so what does this mean for game six? They're getting blown out. Uh, this means the Raptors are definitely in their head. Uh, are they going to go out weekly? Are they going to lose this series? Then they come back. So let me ask you, former player, what's, is there a difference heading into game six? You know, the way they fought back and showed some grit and showed some guts getting back into that game five. Uh, going into Game Six than there would have been if they if they got blow, blown out. No question. You know when you get blown out, especially this time of the year, and I think the Clippers went through this earlier in their series with uh, Golden State. When you, when you uh, when you're the team on on the end that gets blown out, um, you think, hey, you're, you're you're a little nervous because if you can't get motivated this time of year and stay in games, it, it kind of just it shows maybe that there it, it is a a lackluster, not just performance, but mindset. You go in, oh, we'll just see what happens. But when you come back, and there are no moral victories, at least for the teams, for, for media, absolutely. This, this means, it means so much. Uh, and, I, and you know what, in, in all honesty, uh, as a player and being in a locker room, you, you do feel some, a, a little sense of a victory, even when you lose, because you think, okay, now we know that we can't get so far behind one we have the ability if we play hard, if we if we go after loose balls, if we make intelligent basketball plays throughout the entire game, that we can win these games and not have to dig our way out of big holes. And uh, I, I, so I do think there is something you can take from that in a positive light, not just hey they came up short and they lost. It's not just cut and dry. It's hey we had some momentum. Toronto knows that we are. They respect us. Now we just have to go into the game with that belief of we can't get so behind early in the games uh, and then try to come back uh, and we run out of five more minutes, we would have won. But, but you know it's five more minutes, so maybe you will coast all the way until that two-minute mark. So uh, I think, you know, inevitably, Jason Kidd's telling his team, listen, we have the talent, but this team on the other side, we have to take them serious. Yeah, I, I got to disagree. If it was five more minutes, I just think Kyle Lowry would have went for about 20 <laughs> points. The way yeah, he was, point. yeah, the way he was playing, Donnie, you know, the Nets come back. Johnson ties it at uh, 101 with the three on the wing. But Jimmy and I looked at each other when Lowry hit that three, when it was on a switch and Blatch was out there, and D-Will was out there too, and he drilled that long three in both of their faces and then hit that running floater in the lane. We were just like, it's just not in the cards. And But then I want to get your thoughts on that last play. Yep. You know, Sean Livingston has had an up-and-down series. Game five was definitely an up for him. And that last play, you saw Jason Kidd. We read his lips. Before that second foul shot, he said, as soon as he shoots it, go. And you could only imagine he was talking to Sean Livingston because he was like a bullet out of nowhere. As soon as that shot went up by Blatch, he was just in your screen and in one motion had the ball in his hands and flipped it to Blatch. Who threw it 50 yards. And what was he th- – what, what, what's going through his mind? You know, it's so hard at times late in games where you think, okay uh, – when I get this ball, do I step back and shoot a three, or do I look to see if someone else is open? Uh, you, you know, and you—it's hard to 
it's hard to imitate those situations in practice and in shooter. It just it's impossible. You just can't do it because obviously the fans, the refs, the blah blah blah. You're at the end of a game. I used to do uh, it at the park, but back, I didn't have Kyle right. Lowry running at me. <laughs> yeah, right. So you see, you know, Blatch. I don't know where that and. and at first sight, you think, "Oh, it was deflected. We got a shot. He gets fouled shooting a, you know, he get, or he, or there's a. We think either if he got he didn't get fouled, then there was a deflection, and if not, then Darren Williams they have to count that bucket. Yeah, that but, was goaltending. I don't know what Valanciunas was thinking. Yeah, so you get two two situations that what were guys thinking? And I, all I can say for Batch is, you know, he really has never been in a situation like that uh, late game. Um, and, and you have to give Jason Kidd credit for staying with guys who kind of got them back into the game, not going with, uh, you know, someone else off the bench, whether it was a KG, I'm not, I don't remember his foul situation. Uh, obviously Plumley as a rookie couldn't put him out there in a situation to step out. Um, so yeah, I'm thinking, where is Blatch throwing this ball? Like it's a backcourt violation, but you, you see now even guys who are at the professional level, sometimes you get a little tight. It's hard for some guys, and not saying that this is blast, but I've played with guys who can't think and play at the same time. They can play, but they can't do both. And at the end of games, you have to be able to think through situations and be able to play uh, at, the, at the best level you can. So if I had told you at the beginning of the year that Alan Anderson and Mason Plumley would be playing the most important minutes in the Nets season so far, I think we all would have been surprised. Do you think that's a good thing going forward or, or now for the Nets, or do you think that's a bad reflection on where Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett are at right now? Well, I think you have to go back further and think of the injury situation at the beginning of the season and how those guys built up credits when KG was down, mm-hmm. uh, when Brooke Lopez obviously down for the season. Uh, when Darren Williams went down, so Anderson had to come in and play minutes. So I think those guys built up credit. So I don't think it's a bad thing when you can go a little bit deeper into your bench, especially when you're an older team, the second oldest team in the NBA uh, behind Miami, who is obviously still sitting there waiting to see who they're going to play in the next round. And they're loving this. Let me tell you, talking to uh, Ray Allen, uh, they love this being the oldest team in the NBA, but that's, that's for another, another uh, uh, podcast episode but have they have they gotten back from the bahamas yet (laughs) (laughs) i i I cannot confirm or deny that right now (laughs) but you know with the nets you want to have depth you want to be able to know you can go to certain guys and if they've been giving you positive minutes um then you have to me it's only it's it's a positive thing now you talk about paul pierce and kg you have to have paul on the floor because you you know you guys know what he does as well as i do i mean he steps up Sometimes he's it's feast or famine, but for the most part, it's going to be feast, and that's, he's going to give you exactly what you expect from a Paul Pierce. KG, on the other hand, you know, I think we see the guy in front of our eyes who nicknamed the big ticket. I think we were starting to really see him uh, slow down quickly, yeah. and you can see guys, you know, Patrick Patterson, you know, you see guys coming at KG that it reminds me almost of when Michael Jordan came back and all of us would just go at MJ because we knew, you know, he's 38, 39, 40 years old, that he wasn't the same MJ. That's how guys are coming at KG right now, and it's sad to see, but you hope that he has something left in the tank um, that that is outside of his athletic ability. Maybe it's something in a you know a certain play late in the game, a jump shot possibly, but he, uh, maybe he passes up a shot, maybe he 
maybe makes a, the right decision on the ball screen, whatever it might be, you hope that he has some of that still left in him, especially for this game tonight. Yeah, and, you know, Don, you brought up a good point. They are going right at KG, but they're going right at everybody. I mean, that's the yeah. Raptors' offense right now. How do they? How do the Nets defensively, and in the second half of the season, you know, Jay Kidd, that's what he wanted from the beginning of the season. He wanted this team to be defensively sound. He wanted that to be their mantra. He wanted that to be the focus of this Nets team. So how do the Nets get the Raptors out of rhythm? I mean, it's either Kyle Lowry or DeMar DeRozan with the ball at the top. (laughs) There may be a high pick and roll or a pick and pop, but more times than not, it's DeRozan or Lowry who's going to take it into the paint or who's going to step to the elbow or to the corner and take a jump shot. So how do the Nets get them out of that rhythm? You know, you never want to say, because really there's, there's a handful of guys in the NBA who, who can guard one-on-one, like straight up and just lock a guy down. I mean, literally five, probably maybe six guys. We see it obviously with the Memphis series, Tony Allen doing a tremendous job on that side, but there aren't a ton of those guys left in the playoffs. But as much as you don't want to say, hey, you got to stop your man. You hope that there's help behind you. That's what is going to have to happen. Livingston is going to have to make more intelligent basketball plays on jump shooters. We've right. seen him so many times right. in the playoffs all year long, but in the playoffs, it kills you when you foul a jump shooter, especially a DeRozan, who's already getting to the line, what, 9, 10, 11 times a yeah. game? Yeah. So you, you have to, I, I, would, I would assume Jason Kidd's going to say, listen, Take pride in your individual defense and know that you'll have help behind you. Don't initially rely on, you know, shielding a guy a certain way, funneling him towards the help when that guy is not going to be there because he's sitting home on a jump shooter, if that's Vasquez, whoever that might be. So I think individual man-to-man defense, to me, from the start of that shot clock, and if there's a breakdown, you got to chase a guy, you got to, then you'll have to, you know, step up and be ready to help. But initially, I think a lot of great defensive teams say, hey, we're doing it as a team. We'll send him one way. We'll send him to his weakness. We'll make him throw it the opposite way. In this game, you have to take pride in your individual defense uh, for longer periods of time in the shot clock, especially from the very beginning of that shot clock when you know it's in Lowry's hands and you know it's in DeMar DeRozan's hands to start. Well, we'll see if the Nets uh, can do that tonight. But uh, the Pacers did that last night. Um, they force a game seven against the Hawks. And, you know, they were down late in the fourth quarter. They could have folded like a cheap suit. And, and Paul George and company, they survived. So how do you see this shaking out in game seven? Do you see the Pacers moving on here? Yeah, uh, you know, I, I wish I could call it. I don't know if the Pacers, you know, just like we talked about the play at the end of the game, game five with Blatch throwing it, thinking, what's he doing? Right. I don't know if the Pacers have the wherewithal uh, to be able to do it together. I think we saw during the season, especially late, some infighting a little bit, guys trying to be, quote-unquote, the man. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of being that, quote-unquote, team, um, I've never used that many quote-unquote. <laughs> you need Chris Farley with the air quotes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, I did the air quotes with one hand just for the visual for everyone <laughs> listening. Uh, um, so, But I don't know if that team has – the Pacers have – really the the gall to do it together it just seems like there's so much with you know turner evan turner and and stevenson fighting you know you know they say it wasn't a fist fight but you know something happened you you know something went down people just don't pull that out of the air and just make something up you know you got guys thinking that their contract is coming up stevenson probably going to sign a big deal um i think most likely not with the pacers i think that's why they bring in an evan turner but David West is the one guy that I think is their rock. And all the criticism of Roy Hibbert, 
Paul George trying to be LeBron James and Kevin Durant. To me, David West is their rocky. If they get behind him and yeah, listen what? to him, I think they have a shot. But I don't. I just don't see them. The guys around David West really buying into what he what he has to say. And I think the Hawks are right now playing just just free willy. They they don't care. They're like, hey, <laughs> we have nothing to lose. And it's a it's a good thing that we've actually been talking mostly playoffs for at least the past forty eight hours instead of you know going back to the Donald Sterling story. But yeah. it is such a an important story in the NBA right now. Where do you think we're headed in the future? Because obviously Doc Rivers says, you know, the healing process starts now. And indeed, that's the case. But, you know, if Donald Sterling fights this, there are reports out that he has cancer. Where do you think the NBA is going to move? You know, who's going to buy the Clippers? That's another question. Is this going to be a story for the rest of the playoffs, something that we have to talk about kind of on the side along with these games? You know, I think the the first um, the first idea from the other owners will be to take a, a, a look long and hard, meaning you have to not only at who the prospective owners may be or store buyers may be, but at themselves. You know, if they're running their organization in a way where they're, there's, you know, they're not just uh, running a team, they're running it as a, a solid business. Because a lot of people think, oh, sports, you can say whatever you want, do whatever you want, it's, you know, and it's just, a, it's just a game. It's not. You know, the owners understand. And a lot of the owners, this is, you know, for some of them, it's just a side thing. You know, they just want to own a team. But for most of the NBA owners, this is their main business. So I think it, every owner will look hard at themselves. They'll take a long look at who they have working for them. Uh, they'll also, you know, take a look at how not just races, diversity, but diversity is also how you treat women in the organization if they're in the front office. And I think they will look to see, okay, maybe we want not just an African-American or, or you know, Indian-American, whatever it may be, not just uh, a diverse owner, but maybe we want a female owner. Maybe, you know, there's, there's reports that Oprah Winfrey may be interested in, in coming in. So I think – just and they've had this conversation even 30 40 years ago moving forward how do we how can we do a better job of uh, you know having a more diverse uh, business a, a more diverse ownership when you talk about NBA basketball and, and I think that's that for, to me first and foremost that's what they will look at and, and I, I still think a lot of owners around the league will look at themselves and see if their businesses are being run the right way as far as you know uh, treating people with respect and, and keeping racism and all those things out. Yeah, I have one more for you, Donnie, and uh, mm-hmm. I, w- I want to, from going from the very serious topic of Donald Sterling, I want to have a little fun with you here. And <laughs> a couple nights ago, uh, Grizzlies Thunder, uh, Kevin Durant at the line in between his first and second foul oh, shot. Oh gosh! <sighs> Listen to me. Oh my goodness! I mean, <laughs> he was obviously an official when you played. Okay, yep. I yep. I don't know how long Joey Crawford has been doing this. Um, <laughs> But let me just ask you a question. Obviously, he was getting an earful from the Grizzlies bench because something on the scoreboard with the fouls or something was wrong. He had already given the ball to KD. He was about to take his second foul shot. He blows the whistle, rips the ball out of Durant's hand, sprints the only way Joey Crawford could sprint it's over a waddle. to the, it's more of a yes, waddle over to the scorer's table yeah. and starts berating the scorer's table like my father berated me when I was 7 
there are there were so many things wrong with that entire situation. But the biggest thing was you, after you give the ball to Kevin Durant, who's in MVP discussions with LeBron James, and who is taking a critical foul shot yeah. in a playoff game. Let me put you on the line. If you're on the line and that happened to you and you missed that foul shot, okay, and I inject sodium pentothal into your system in the post-game press conference, <laughs> what is Donnie Marshall telling me? And you, you know, can't lie to me. Well, when it's a disruption off the court, fans yelling, something like that, you just play and you say, hey, I got to make the shot. You know, it's a distraction. But when the ref grabs the ball from you, and not just, hey, Walking over, let me just see the ball. If you're going to wipe it off. They timed it on ESPN. It It was a 24-second delay in between free throws. And it was violent, too, in my opinion. As far as as violence can go on the basketball court with officials, he sprints to get the ball and then goes through this whole process like you described. And I think in that point, and I love – I got to be honest, I'm probably one of the few people. I I love Joey Crawford. I'm sure you do. I'm just – I think he's a great character for the game. I think outside of all the antics that we see and the issues he's had with certain players, I think he is one of the top two or three best officials in the NBA. But I think that's kind of overshadowed a little bit by some of his actions like this one. But I think if you're Kevin Durant, you just tell yourself, look, I got to make the free throw. No matter what happens, you know, guys are talking trash. Whatever it might be, I can't let an official affect the game. I think Joey Crawford should have handled it differently, but if you're a player, you're, I guarantee you down the line, you're saying, I had the chance to make a shot no matter what. i got to make the shot. Guys can make those shots, you guys, with their eyes closed, but when you're in a situation like that, the ball is yanked out of your hand, and you're like, what is going on over here? You have no idea what the holdup is. You're standing there, standing there, standing there. Then you you want to say, hey, it's someone else's fault, but I guarantee you, it's Kevin a rhythm. Durant is we saying, talked you know about this though. Shot. It's a rhythm thing, Donnie. He yeah. was in a rhythm, and then it was broken. The one thing though know, is, is look, sorry, go ahead, Donnie. A guy like that, Kevin Durant, I guarantee you, he's like, oh, I get my rhythm with two dribbles, the little shimmy of my shoulders, and that's how I get back into my uh, rhythm. Yes. To make I'm just shot. trying to make a mountain out of a molehill. And the the, <laughs> the other thing though is, like Donnie, you hear much less complaints about this this thing than pl- from. You know, players. Then we do yeah. members of the media. We're angry. Yeah. I'm an idiot. But players, no, you're not. You're not. I, I'm with you. But I'm just saying, you know, guys like KD just says, "Yeah, I got to hit that shot." I, I just, they yeah. seem to like Joey Crawford. I just, I just know I could have a little fun uh, with Donnie. About I, I, as soon as I saw it, I was like, I got to talk to Donnie about this because I, I, I'm, I see. I don't want to get into a Shaq position with what he said, but I'm a Bavetta guy. I'm staying away from his first name <laughs> because that whole inside the NBA. And he had that sound bite. I, I didn't want to go anywhere near it, but I like Bavetta. I like him a lot. Uh, I don't know how you feel about him, but uh, that, that's all we got for you, Donnie. I, we, we went really overtime here, and we want to thank you for coming on today. We got a lot of stuff done. We had some fun, and I will see you for the post game tonight. I'll see you tonight. Guys, thanks, man. So much fun. Great thanks, time Donnie. of year, so I'm glad I could be on with you guys. Absolutely, Donnie. Thanks a lot, man. We'll see you later. Talk to you, bye. All right, that's Donnie Marshall, analyst here with the Yes Network, also former UConn player and uh, NBA star as well. Uh, Donnie's alma mater just won two more national championships. Yeah, Yeah, the women and the men. So uh, Donnie will be here later for the post-game show. We're taping this before game six between the Nets and the Raptors. Uh, You might be listening to this, you know, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. 
the Nets might be done. Uh, and you'll say, why are they talking about the Nets? Well, it's because we taped it before game six. Yeah, there's only so much we can do. Yeah, exactly. Stop expecting so much. It's, out not, of it's not a 24-hour news cycle on the Christian <laughs> Show podcast. It's about an hour and a half. That's, that's all we got. Uh, Doug and I talk before, we talk after, and that's about it. Uh, so for Doug Williams, I'm Chris Sheeran. Uh, once again, yesnetwork.com and iTunes, the places you could pick up the Chris Sheeran Show, hashtag CSS on the Twitter. We'll see you next time.